0: Hoop7 proudly brings to you Basketball Hustle. The Ellis fumbled the ball, two on the shot, clock goes up a Yes! As he was falling to the ground, it's a three! He shot it literally from the hip. Definitely a highlight. Here come the Villagers. four on two, McCall, Ellis, left corner, out. bang, from way down under, Cody Ellis. Reddick brings low out away from the best, stolen away by Cody Ellis, one man to beat, to the hole. he's fouled. layup, good, whistle, foul, count the best. Ellis for the reverse, oh, and through fingertips, what a move, Ellis drops in a ball. I love seeing Cody Ellis coming out, feeling good. Ellis, Cody Ellis. Ellis, pull up jumper. Cody Ellis, bang! Cody Ellis, can he stand and deliver? Cody Ellis! Now it's time for another
1: episode of Hoops Heavens Basketball Hustle.
2: Hello and welcome to Hoop Sevens Basketball Hustle for another weekend. Boy, isn't there a lot to talk about in the world of NBL once more. We'll get to all of that. We'll hear from the one and only Matty Knight, the three-time NBL champion. He'll give his Player of the Year award once again and have a chat about what else is going on. We'll hear from two Adelaide 36ers legends this week, not just Scott Ninnis, but he'll be joined by his good mate, the legendary Brett Maher as well. So we'll we'll hear from both of them on the this week's show, but COVID would have hit across the country as everyone would have noticed again once we're just not over this pandemic and it's hit us here at hoop sevens basketball hustle this week and we spoke to cody ellis my co-host last week i'm chris pike of course but we spoke to cody about how his wife lauren had gone down with covid he was at home Trying to, to avoid it, but for a second time now this year, Cody has gone down with COVID. He's n- feeling under the weather, unable to join me for this week's show. It's a little bit hard to record a podcast if your voice isn't working. So um, unfortunately, we have had to had to make do, had to be creative with this week's show. So like I said, we will hear from Matty Knight. He'll give his player of the year votes once again, and that's how we'll, we'll start off this week's show. I'll have a chat to him about a couple of other things as well. Scott Ninnis and Brett Marble drop by to talk about all things Adelaide 36ers, including the 400-game milestone of Daniel Johnson, the seven-time club MVP, and also their thoughts on the 36ers' look for a third import and also their big game with the Perth Wildcats on Friday night. Um, and also, to make up some of the time that Cody won't be able to fill this week, I'm going to catch up with the scoring machine, Sean Reddidge. So some of you would have noticed that we did a bonus episode with the scoring machine, talking about the retirement of his number 42 jersey that will be hung, hung from the rafters early next year to celebrate his 42nd birthday by the Perth Wildcats at RAC Arena. So... We'll we'll play that, that chat I had with the scoring machine Sean Reddidge, as part of this week's show here on Hoops Heaven's basketball hustle as well. So hopefully that that'll be enough to make everybody everybody happy. Hopefully Cody Ellis' absence can be made up by Brett Maas, Scott Ninnis, Matty Knight and Sean Reddidge. So four pretty big names that we'll get to on this week's show. Um, just quickly, before we hear from Matty Knight and, and break down round nine in the NBL and get his Player Player of the Year votes, plenty was happening across the NBL and we are here thanks to Hoop 7, the best basketball store in the country. And head to hoop get your orders in in time for Christmas. Or if indeed you are in Perth, head to Murray Street in the Perth City, check them out and and you you won't be disappointed. Everything you can ever hope for in a basketball store is taken care of there by Hoop Seven, and they make this show possible at each and every week. But like I said before, I get to Monday Night. Plenty happening in the NBL, and it's disappointing Cody can't join me this week because he had a lot to get off his chest. We once again saw a team at the end of a. Game where they didn't need to shoot a three-pointer, going for a three-pointer. We'll save that for next week, and he can get that off his chest. The delay of game officiating is once again a talking point and a frustration. As we know, Cody is, has been annoyed by that in the in the <laughs> in this season so far. So we'll catch up with him again that about about that next week. The guards stead- stepping in front of Biggs to try and take a foul up the floor. It's a frustration of a lot of us, including Cody, we'll get back to that. Some trash talking by players at inappropriate times, whether or not they haven't earned the right to do it, they don't have anything to back it up with, or in the case of one Melbourne United guard, doing it with his team, is getting blown out and and celebrating when he doesn't have a lot to celebrate about. So all those things I'll say for Cody next week when we get back on the show. But what we did see across round nine in the NBL was some teams making statements, good and bad. So we saw Chris Golding. Become the 11th man in NBL history. Hit his hit his 1,000 three pointer. Did it in in interesting fashion with that one footer to beat the shot clock. But congratulations to to Chris on on that remarkable feat. Clearly, he's the number one in the 40 minute era of the NBL as well. So he's done it done it shooting at over 37 percent from the field. Done it in 396 games. But his Melbourne United team is struggling. They lost lost again twice this round. They're, they're now five and ten, and playoffs probably look a long way off. For them, um, we saw a fascinating scene over in, in Auckland for the Perth Wildcats playing the New Zealand Breakers for the first time this season. Corey Webster playing his first ever game against the Breakers in the NBL, 237 games in the NBL for the Breakers, won three championships, was a heart and soul player of that club. He was, he was upset. He was... A little bit offended by a social media post and he took it out on his former team with a with his best performance in Wildcats colours as the Wildcats pulled off the upset over in Auckland just two days after losing to the Brisbane Bullets in overtime. So it was a fascinating weekend for the for the Perth Wildcats. I think Milton Doyle, as we'll hear from both Matty Knight and both Scott Ninnison and Brett Maher later in the show with their awards. Milton Doyle, I think, announced himself as a genuine MVP candidate with another match-winning performance for the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. I think a lot to like about the, the Brisbane Bullets this weekend as well. They got that win over the Perth Wildcats and also put in a a, a competitive performance against the Tasmania Jackjumpers before they ran out of gas late in that game. And, and I think what we saw was Sam McKinnon probably confirming himself as the as the coach for the rest of the season. We'll get the thoughts from Brett Maher and Scott Ninnis about the Adelaide 36ers and their search for a third import. We'll also chat about the 400 game milestone of Daniel Johnson and Mitch Norton, also in that same game Friday night, will play his 300th NBL game. So, very quickly, before I get to Matty Knight, the round nine results in the NBL started back on Thursday night, and it was the New Zealand Breakers, a fifth straight victory, confirming themselves at that stage on top of the table, beating the South East Melbourne Phoenix 110 to 84. In Christchurch, Barry Brown Jr., another big game with 31 points. And then, as I said, second up on Thursday in overtime, the Brisbane Bullets snapping their losing streak, getting their first win with Sam McKinnon as coach, beating the Perth Wildcats 106-95. to Then Friday night, the Adelaide 36ers. They were they were dead and buried in this game against the, the Cairns Taipans at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre, 19 points down in the second quarter. Still eight points down with four minutes to go, but they found a way to win. They ended up beating the Taipans 78-75. to And then on Saturday, the... Probably the upset of the season, just considering what happened two days before with both of these teams. The Perth Wildcats beating the New Zealand Breakers 92-84. to Corey Webster 26 points in a match-winning performance. And the Wildcats mixed things up a little bit. Blanchfield and Wakestaff you know, having significantly smaller roles. Webster and Brady Mannix stepping up impressively as well. And then we saw the, the third throwdown of the season at John Kane Arena, South East Melbourne Phoenix, with Ellen Williams leading the way with help from Gary Brown beating Melbourne United 78-72. Then on Sunday, Sydney Kings returning to the top of the NBL, beating the Adelaide 36ers 97-78. to And then second up, we saw the Tasmania Jack Jumpers overrun the Brisbane Bullets in the end. They were, they were down, down by two late in that game, but then they went on a 14-0 scoring streak, inspired by Milton Doyle, who did a bit of everything, and they ended up winning 99-84. And then lastly, Monday night at the Wynn Entertainment Centre in Wollongong, the Illawarra Hawks snapping a nine-game losing streak, ...handing Melbourne United their own five-game losing streak... ...and Sam Froling was, was the star career, best night, 29 points... ...and a impressive and much-needed 93-79 victory there for the Elora Hawks... ...so that was round round nine in the NBL... Damien Martin has come through with his votes for the Best Defensive Player Award... ...so quick, very quickly before we hear from Matty Knight... ...Antonius Cleveland from the Adelaide 36ers with the three votes... This week's milestone man, Mitch Norton, has got the two from his old teammate Damien Martin. And then he couldn't split Justin Simon from the Sydney Kings and Derek Parton from the New Zealand Breakers. They got one vote each. But now, let's get to Matty Knight and his player of the year votes. And we'll hear plenty more from, from the Nightmare. Okay, welcome back to Hoop Sevens basketball hustle. I'm now joined by the three time MBL champion, the best power forward of his generation, the Nightmare. Matty Knight, thanks for joining me again. How do we find you this week? I think it might be a pretty busy time for you. Two birthdays for two of your kids in the same week, and we're not far from Christmas. Life must be hectic.
1: Yeah, no, December December's a very, very uh busy month in, in our household. Um got my daughter's birthday on the second, my other daughter's on the seventh, and obviously all the, the Christmas parties and all that um you know it's a busy busy time of the year for us
2: It sounds like it. Good luck getting through it. I'm I'm pretty sure you might hibernate for a little while once you get to January, do you?
1: Yeah, no. Thanks for being relaxing down in good old Tassie. That's so right. yeah. uh looking forward to getting down there and um yeah, catching the Jack is going down while we're down there.
2: Yeah, look forward to finding out how that goes for you, Matty. So we'll stay in touch, obviously. Um, before we get to your votes on the Play, Player of the Year Award for Round 9, what stood out to you about the weekend's action? We saw some, some big margins, some sloppy games, some teams making statements a- along the way. Um, what did you make of what we saw?
1: It was an interesting round, really. Um, I was to South Beach. Melbourne, went to uh, New Zealand, got touched up, mm. then came back and, came back and beat uh, Melbourne. Um, last night's game, Illawarra and Melbourne wasn't probably one for the the (laughs) highlight, but uh, it's good to see Illawarra get some reward for effort, obviously it's been a a pretty tough year for them Um, Sydney look the Sydney of old, obviously when Walton, playing like that they're going to be hard to Mm. stop Uh, (laughs) you go up to Brisbane in a game you should uh, definitely win, you drop that then you go on over to New Zealand in a game, no one gets Chance and you beat the top team. So, but um, yeah, it was an interesting round, but I think you're starting to see the top of the team start to pull away. And yeah, Tazzy, uh, I think it's Tassie's right now. I think they're starting yeah. to gel at the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They just keep finding ways to win. And I, I think we'll talk about this guy a little bit during your votes but Milton Doyle just having that closer and a match winner on your team somebody that can do what he's doing is pretty special as well so I have a feeling we might hear more about him once we get to your votes which we'll get to now Maddie. why don't we start with your one vote from around
1: nine. Um, one vote is uh, he's gone back to his home, co- uh, home country and a uh, bit, of, bit of controversy before the game mm. I believe with the board um, but no Corey Webster I'm pretty sure he's Eyes lit up when he's seen that and he's back home in New Zealand, so I gave him the one vote. Um, Big game for him and big game for Perth.
2: Yeah, it was. His best game in Wildcats colours and just happened to be his first ever game against the Breakers. And like you said, they happened to fire him up (laughs) beforehand as well, which was interesting. Um, What about the two votes?
1: Two votes. uh, The big fella from South East, even though they lost over in New Zealand, he he competed against probably the best big in the Competition in part and then comes yeah, back. He had the again. better of that matchup too. Yeah, then comes back to Melbourne and puts up another double double. So, uh, two votes for Alan Williams. He, he was massive. For, and um, I just love the way he goes about yeah. it. He, just, he brings that energy and hustle for a team that probably lacks that.
2: Yeah, he's exactly what they need. That inside powerful presence could be, like I, like I said over the last couple of weeks, I think he could be the, the final piece of that puzzle that might take the Phoenix over the, the hump this season. Um, what about the three votes?
1: Uh, he was massive uh, for his team getting their first win in a couple of months. Sam Um he's been battling away. He probably doesn't have the, the capital around him to help him, but uh, he's been consistent for him all year. And then a uh, massive game last night to help Illawarra. That losing streak.
2: Yeah, best performance of his career in a match-winning one. So, yep, yeah, he was he was terrific. Um, where are the four votes?
1: Well, he was leading the, um, the vote getters early in the in the season, but uh, and he went went a little bit quiet. But uh, he was massive for Sydney on the weekend, and that is uh, Derek Walton. Mm. Um, if he's going to play like that with Cooks, uh, Sydney's going to be a, a tough team to beat.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He just played that match-winning role. If he's setting up play, but also being aggressive going to the rim, he's really, really tough to stop. So he was terrific in that win against Adelaide. Um, have a feeling, we might be going to your your old home state for five ways, are we, Maddie?
1: Yeah, no. Uh, he, the last few weeks, he's just gone to a whole nother level. And uh, he's come out and said that he he's still got more to give. Mm-hmm. And, uh that's the case, but the league's in a bit of trouble. Um, he's been amazing for Tazzy. There's a lot of questions marked over him, obviously having to replace Josh Adams and what he did for Tazzy last year, but I think they've even uh, found a better one in Milton Doyle this year. Um, he does it outside, he can get to the basket, and, uh, yeah, he's the closer for Tazzy. Yeah. And um looks like no situation gets uh, the better of him. So if he continues to get better, I believe... Um, yeah, I reckon it was a good chance to see Tassie in, uh, in the last uh, games of the year. The
2: thing I love about him not only is he a great scorer. I mean, he had thirty three points again in the in the best individual game of the season by anybody. But he's a great passer too. He sets up his teammates. Some of those passes where he dished inside to both Magnay and Jack McVay. I mean, to have a guy who's got the ability to score, but then also to set up his teammates that's that's <laughs> that's that's an MVP level type player, isn't it?
1: Oh, Exactly, and he's obviously going to get get a lot of tension coming off on balls, and teams are going to put a lot of, a lot of work into him on the defensive end. And a guy can make passes like that; it's just going to open up for everyone on the floor. And he's got that good connection with McVeigh now, and it's only going to get better with Magnay the more they spend on court together. So, you know, it's exciting times down in Tavis
2: yeah, and that makes your leaderboard fascinating as well, Matty. So that puts Derek Walden back on top, just ahead of Keanu Pinder, and then you've got both Derek Parton and Milton Doyle in third spot and Mitch Craig just behind. I, I reckon you're spot on. I reckon those are, you know, Xavier Cooks will, will make a run at some point as well, you you would imagine. But, yeah, I mean, you know, your leaderboard's looking pretty fascinating, and I reckon you've got it pretty spot on with your top five or six there.
1: You know, uh, Doyle continues to play the way he is until he wins. He's going to give it a good uh, run. Like the league MVP, yeah, um, yeah, Arden as well. Obviously, your team needs to be winning if you really want to be in consideration. So, uh, I think those two teams are a very good chance of being uh, final two teams battling it out for that championship.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right, Matty. Before we let you go this week, one of your old sparring partners and he. He, he, he plied his trade two minutes away from your house right now there at, at Williston, and this Friday night, and it's only fitting that it's it's against the Perth Wildcats, but Daniel Johnson plays his 400th NBL game on, on Friday night. Can you reflect a little bit back on your battles with him
1: over the years? Going against D.J. was probably the hardest, hardest matchup <laughs> over that. Mm. Uh, he knew what you were going to get, but he still got whatever he wanted, Um He's probably one of the slowest guys down there but moves. Still still be defended. Um, no, nah, he's he's been fantastic, especially for Adelaide thirty six and um to have the career he's had. Um, yeah, it's lucky he hasn't slowed down. Mm-hmm. I think I heard when they were over here in Perth or something that he's the leading point scorer since it's gone to a forty minute game yep, and yep. that not surprised me. He's a he's a scorer straight out and um, yeah, no, he, he was one of the toughest matchups. Probably him and, speaking of Bacone, mm. he knew you were in for a, a dogfight for 40 minutes. And the thing that annoyed Joe, his facial expression never changed. <laughs> no. <laughs> Even if you try to rough him up or whatever, <laughs> he still would have the same face no matter what was happening. So, no, it's an awesome achievement, 400 games. It's not meant too many have done that. And um, he's still been productive out in the sport now, obviously. What, well, do you want a silver medal at the, Oh, games.
2: games,
1: yeah, yeah. So, age hasn't slowed him down at all, and um, I'm sure he'll be uh, fired up for a, a big game on Friday night, especially going against Perth. He, Perth boy, mm-hmm. so he's 400th one to remember, and um, I reckon he could go to 30.
2: Oh, absolutely could. And he, he loves playing against Perth, like you said. He's the He scored the most ever points of anyone of an opposition team inside RSC Arena, so he loves coming back to Perth and loves playing them over in Adelaide. So congratulations to, to DJ on his milestone. And thank you, Maddie, for all of your insights once again. And we'll keep an eye on the action this week and do it again next week.
1: Cheers, Parky.
2: Okay, back on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle, and I've got a double treat this week here on the show in terms of Adelaide Thirty Sixes royalty. Scott, you might have a, a familiar face alongside you right now. Uh,
3: yes, mate. Uh, young Brett Maher is uh, is sitting next to me at the moment. Uh, I've got a good story for you about Brett. Uh, <laughs> not quite as famous as he thought he was, so mm-hmm. uh, names... on. Names on the court, you know, three Olympic games, 500-plus plus games, and got asked to ID to get into the stadium last week. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, how quickly they forget, mate. So, uh, yes, it was uh, quite humorous at the time. But, uh, yeah, we're just heading out uh, heading out to uh, Trinity Starplex to do a, do a clinic with the 36ers. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, just rolling out there now. Um,
2: how did you feel when that happened, Brett?
0: Uh, Well, it's not the first time it's happened either, by the way. (laughs) uh, No, it was all right. I had to clearly scuffle around and find something to let me in, but uh, uh, all good, all good in the end. It's a white
3: hair, mate. They don't don't recognise him anymore, so... uh, You can't just point to the signature
2: uh... on the court.
0: (laughs) You'd think so, wouldn't you?
2: Um A bit to get through. I want to get both your thoughts on on this so you can take a pick who wants to start. But I think we learned a lot about the 36ers last week. We always thought we would in the games against Cairns and Sydney. And I think we probably learned that they do need that third import and he needs to get here quick.
3: Yeah, well, you'd think so. Although well, CJ has come out again and, and saying he's, he's in no rush, but I'd imagine they're, uh, you know, they're doing their due diligence and their homework now. I think, you know, they 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 were pretty lucky against Cairns, and uh, you know, they just keep digging themselves a hole up on their home court, which is uh, which is a bit of a worry. You know, we're down by nineteen, and and just, I guess, you know, just just kept. Scratching away and and got the chocolates right at the death, but um, yeah, there was some disappointing signs in the Sydney game, obviously, and uh, I think they'd be yeah they'd be having a lot of names come across their desk at the moment and looking for that third import.
2: What are your thoughts, Brett? I think it just looks like they're a little bit away from the top top teams, and I think that showed in the in the Sydney game.
0: Yeah, I think there's probably two uh, trains of thought of whether they go for that big defender, um, someone that can um, stop other scoring bigs uh, because they have shown they've had trouble with guys like Xavier Cooks and um, other big scorers but uh, also, I would say based on um, form at the moment of the players that are currently playing, the other train of thought is to get an American point guard in and um, that would probably slot McCarran and Sunday Detch and those sort of guys into the two spot a bit more. And probably based on form at the moment, I would say that was, is probably the way they should head.
2: We probably underestimate the impact of Anthony Drumick as well. He was playing some of the best basketball of his career, but missed missed him this weekend as well. And I think that probably highlighted uh, just how much he he was playing so well too.
3: He's been great. Oh, I, you know, I was one probably when they re-signed him. Thought, oh, that's a good uh, you know good backup. Fifteen minutes a game. He's been here before. He knows the city. Um, but you know, he's really taken uh, taken every opportunity. And as you said, he, he's been playing some great basketball, and he, yeah, he has that. He has that toughness and that that grit about him that know um, yeah, we really, really need. Um, I'd, li- I'd like to see a few other players with, with his sort of uh, you know determination. Uh, you know, to, just to get things done. So yeah, they missed him. I, I'm not sure what his what his status is. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play this weekend either. But. Mm-hmm. Once again, as we always say, that gives opportunities to other people and everyone really needs to step up, Uh, you know, these games just start becoming crucial, you know. We're just, you know, middle of the road at the moment and, uh, you, you know, we really need to start, you know, you know winning and winning well at home, I think you know for for a number of reasons, obviously for, for obvious reasons, that uh, puts us right back into play. but um yeah, the home crowds <laughs> haven't seen a lot of good games this year, you know it's uh, you know we've we've had our butts kicked on a couple of occasions, and uh, as we just said, uh, we fill in against cans. so you know hopefully we can we can get a good result and uh, you know start you know maintain those you know, sort of eight, nine thousand uh, you know type of crowds
2: feels like every time we talk, we've got a 36ers-Wildcats game to prepare for as well, Scott. Um, we know your thoughts on the rivalry. Well, how big is it for you, Brad? Is there a, an extra pep in everyone's step when the Wildcats come to town?
0: Well, it is. Um, I think a lot of the guys in the Adelaide team are new, so they, they may not have that mm. same uh, kind of feel and vibe that uh, like Scott and I have always had, those matchups with with Vlahos, Ricky Grace, Crawford going back against you, Mark Davis, our Green, Daryl Pearce. I mean, I grew up watching that, so it's embedded into us. But for the current players, it's probably not as big, but I think it's still always a, a huge game when you get to play against some of the best players in competition, like Bryce Cotton coming into town. And the way uh, Brady Manick and Webster shot against us here, um, I mean, they're going to be a really tough, tough arse to beat again on our court. Um I was surprised when we went over and won in Perth. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, which teams show up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, massive night for Daniel Johnson as well. We spoke about him a couple of years ago between the three of us when we were picking our all-time 36s teams, and we, we ended up deciding that he belonged in that team, and I think he's only enhanced his reputation even even more now. 400 games on Friday night for Daniel Johnson. I'll, I'll start with you, Scott. I mean... He's already a club legend, seven-time club MVP, as you keep reminding Brett. Um, (laughs) uh, As he reaches a milestone like this, I mean, should we appreciate just how, how, how great he's been?
3: Oh, I think so. And I, and I remember when we were doing those those teams. I, I didn't have him in my in my first team, but uh, oh, I think now it's it's overwhelming that he's the automatic pick for that. Uh, you know, your first team and uh, four hundred games. You know, the majority of them have, have been here. And you know, we saw again last week. You know, the first half he had. Uh, you know, like he's still capable. Of, you know, just such a great shooter. You know, just he just when he misses the when he misses a shot you're surprised because we do take him for granted a little bit. Um, But yeah, look, 400 games in any one language is a, is a fantastic achievement. And, uh, um, you know, I was sort of hoping that this year, and it's, Still can be a chance where you know he gets a chance to, to challenge for a championship again, and would be nice to see the 36ers down that path. And uh, you know it's probably the only thing missing from his career, uh, you, you know, that to really cement that that legend status here, especially with the 36ers. Obviously, we've you know we've had a lot of success over the years, and when you start talking about you know the all-time greats of the club, they've all have one championship. So you know, you'd love to see him get one before the end of his playing career as well.
2: Absolutely. What are your thoughts on DJ? What what comes to mind when you think of DJ, Brett?
0: Uh, 20 and 10 pretty much uh, that's pretty much what, he, what he's given us his whole career 20 points 10 rebounds he's reliable um, he doesn't give you much as far as emotionally uh, Scott and I have uh, been able to spend a bit of time with him kind of doing the community stuff and you get to see that dry sense of humour and cheekiness that he does have but he kind of hides that away a bit and doesn't give much away on game days but he always always shows up um, really hard I don't think there's been too many players that can see Say that they've been able to stop DJ at the offensive end and um, yeah he's been uh, a great player for us and um, yeah as Scott said I think the only thing that's really holding him away from that real legend status at the club is winning championships and it would be nice to see him win one in uh, in one of his last years
2: yeah no for sure all right, Scott, we've, we've got our job to do this week for the best team man in the NBL from round nine, the Galen Award winner, and I found it a bit tough to come up with too many candidates this week. It was, a, it was an interesting round. Um, I thought Michael Frazier stepped up and played a, a good role for the Alora Hawks as they, as they broke their... Broke their drought on Monday night against Melbourne United. I thought Gary Brown, the way he led the South East Melbourne Phoenix in their second game against Melbourne United was, was terrific as well. But Milton Doyle, I mean, not only is he scoring, but he's doing everything for the Tasmania Jack Jumpers and winning games for them, passing the ball, setting up his bigs. And he might be the direction you head this week without putting words in your mouth.
3: No, oh, absolutely. Oh, I thought he was fantastic. That uh, that, that last game, he, uh, he you know he, he was big the entire game, but that last quarter was just. I, I remember, I remember Jack McVeigh driving down the middle and, and making a layup. I can't remember another play in that last quarter that Doyle wasn't either scoring or, or assisting someone else. He, he just completely took over that game at the crucial time when it was there to be won and uh, really enjoyed uh, watching his game. It's uh, you, you know, they, they just have a system that is just built for guys to step up at you know and, and make the most of their opportunities whenever it's called for. And uh, certainly it was his time to shine uh, in, in
0: that Brisbane game, that's for sure. No,
2: for sure. What have you made of Milton Doyle so far, Brett?
0: I think he's been fantastic. I couldn't believe that in that last four minutes how they just exploded that came right. open against brisbane it was it was amazing and yeah he's um he's a talent like really hard to stop he's got a good mid-range game he can take to the bucket he hit real tough shots for them um real reliable scorer for them and yeah i just love the system that scott roth has set up for their players and they all have bought into it and he's he's been fantastic for them this year
2: no he absolutely has um one more thing, I want to get your thoughts on Brett. You know Sam McKinnon very well. Did you ever imagine him being a being a head coach? And if you're the Brisbane Bullets, would you look to to lock him in at least for the rest of this season and potentially longer?
0: Uh, yeah, I didn't really expect him to go down that path, and I think initially he probably didn't either. Mm. He was quite happy being in the in the front office, but um, I mean, desperate times call for desperate yes. measures, and uh, he stepped into that role. From all reports, the players. Um, really like him. He's got a good rapport with them. Um, I would think that they would probably have to keep him there for the rest of this season and then make a decision at the end of the year whether to stay with him or search for uh, an alternative. But uh, yeah, certainly not what I expected coming into this season that Sam McKinnon yeah. would be coaching.
2: Uh, no, I don't think anyone did. We all had such high hopes of what the Brisbane team could do. Um been good to see you back on our TV screens as, as well, Brad. Are you enjoying it?
0: Yeah, it's been good. I haven't done it for 10 years and um, when I got asked this year if I'd I'd like to do it, um, yeah, it was something that I've always enjoyed doing and and getting out there trying to provide a little bit of analysis on the game and uh, it's always a little bit of fun and um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been good.
2: Last one for you, Scott. If anyone needs a last minute Christmas gift, couldn't go much further than Sports Card World, could you?
3: Oh, a premium wine tour could well, yeah. pretty, go pretty well as well so <laughs> no no they're, 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 they're better map that from sports card world as, as you know good mates of ours and uh, you know I've, I've known the boys for 25 years they've just got the keys to their new house they've mm. got a got an apartment uh, in, in the city so they're uh, they're very excited about that you know the shop's Still going great guns, uh, which which is fantastic. They've uh, jumped on board sponsorship-wise with just about every sporting club in South Australia, it seems, at the moment. So, uh, uh, no, doing really, really well. I'm uh, I'm hosting a wine dinner next Monday night that, that the Sports Card World boys will be at. You know, they've always been great supporters of, uh, of mine as well. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I always recommend if uh, you know people get in there and, and get something, especially, as you said, coming into the Christmas season as well.
2: No, fantastic. No, we really appreciate their support over the years with us, Scott, as well. And it's been a lot of fun catching up with both of you guys. I hope everyone enjoyed hearing from two Adelaide thirty sixes legends. Brett and Scott, thanks for joining me.
3: Anytime. Thanks, mate.
2: Stepping back in time, going back to the first two years of the show with my old co-host, The Scoring Machine, and great timing as well because he's now about to become immortalised at the Perth Wildcats, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, with number 42 heading up into the rafters. I'm Chris Pike, but the man that you did tune in to hear from every every week back for the first two years of this show, he gave the show its name, he brought us onto the map, The Scoring Machine, Sean Redditch. Thanks for joining me.
4: Thanks, Mikey. It's uh, good to be back on the show having a chat, and uh, yeah, some big things happened over the last couple of weeks, so excited to dive into it.
2: Yeah, it's been a big couple of weeks for you. It's been a long time coming, and as you would remember from the very first episode we did, it was our campaign to get that number 42 up into the rafters, and we finally got there. It was a, a pretty proud moment, I'm sure. We'll talk about it in more detail a bit later, but once you got that news and once <laughs> once Andrew Vlahov pulled the surprise on you, I'm sure, I'm sure it was a pretty humbling moment.
4: Yeah, there was a lot of emotions running through. I was, um, you know, John really had called me to to see if I could come in and have a chat to the boys, um, which, you know, wasn't out of the ordinary. Mm. The, you know, the team was kind of, they had that FIBA break. They were struggling a little bit. So I thought, you know, maybe being an ex-player is something that we you know, we would have, you know, during my time there. You'd have some of the, the ex-guys come in and, and kind of have a chat about their experience. So
2: Especially um, Bob.
4: Yeah, yeah, Ball was up there there quite a bit. So, you know, so I, I kind of had a speech ready, you know, that morning I went and coached at uh, my local son's primary school, coached a session, raced home, got changed pretty quick, then headed up, um, and the guys were just finishing up uh, kind of a pre-practice workout. So, uh, you know, they went up into the film room, watched a little uh, scout on their upcoming opponent, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, um, and then, yeah, John really had me, uh, get up there in front of the group, had a little chat and after that, uh, yeah, Walhoff was there. So I thought Walhoff was just going to have a chat as well. Um, you know, I thought it was going to, you know, I guess maybe, uh, you know, double, uh, double team there, but, um, he... At that moment, yeah, he, I mean, he, they would have uh, recorded it on social media, um, a lot of people would have seen it, but, uh, you yeah, know, it was pretty emotional to uh, be told, and, um, you know, my family was hiding in the office, Back, fact, uh, they didn't want to give the surprise away, so they did a good job keeping mm-hmm. it, keeping it under wraps, um, Santo too, um, was one of the the people behind uh, getting it all set up. He used to be a teammate of mine yeah. at uh, at Bendigo Braves as well. So he's now the uh, GM uh, there, the CEO. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, an, it was, it was a proud moment. Um, I was surprised, emotional, uh, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to describe that that emotion that comes comes through. It was something I I never even thought was possible. Uh, you know, when I came over here after getting released by the Breakers, and you know, I was just uh, thankful to have a job. And, and here you go, uh, you know, that was in 2005. So 17, almost 18 years later, um, you know, going to have that 42 up in the in the rafters is a is a pretty proud moment.
2: Every time we talked about it on the show and pretty much every time we had a guest on the show, I would ask them about your number being retired and you always, you always didn't want to get too caught up in the conversation and you didn't want to, I guess, tempt fate by talking too much about it. I mean, we talked about it a lot. We all felt like it was just an inevitable thing that would happen eventually, but I mean... After hearing all of that talk about it, all of the build-up to it, and I, d- I don't know if you ever really actually thought it would happen. I th- I think you actually don't know if you ever let yourself think it was possible, just because it's such a a massive honour to be to be handed. I mean, when it when it when you knew it was actually happening, I mean, did it take a take a few seconds to actually sink in?
4: Yeah, it did. Um, I wasn't sure, you know, as soon as the started to talk, I, I quickly realized that wasn't, uh, he wasn't there to talk to the team. He was there to talk to me. Mm. And then you just, yeah, a, a rush of emotion. There's that, that feeling. I mean, you, you know, they just don't do that for very many players. Mm. Um, you know, I think the last player was Ricky Grace back in 2007. So Um, you know, almost 16 years now since they've they've retired a player. And there's been some unbelievable players, you know. And I think it's a big recognition, you know, just for that group that came through. Um, You know, we had a heck of a run there. um, And there's still some guys there, Jesse and Bryce particularly. But, you know, I think it's an honor for, you know, a lot of the guys that that sacrificed there, uh, you know, because I think we're all not. With that club for for that long, if we're not having success, so you know, I think there's a lot of owed to the Damian Martins and the Greg Hires and the Matty Knights and, and all those guys that have put in that effort to, to help us be success. So to me, it's uh, you know, it's an honouring them as well.
2: Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I mean, it, it's a remarkable thing, and I I reflect back on I guess my journey with you, and it started without you probably even knowing I I existed when I first started covering NBL games back in. Back in the two thousand five two thousand and six season, and and I, w- I would come to Challenge Stadium for those games, and and the scoring machine was just an untouchable force by then. You were at your peak of your powers. You were you were putting up massive scoring numbers. You were the the favourite son of the team, and you you were the superstar. You were the you were the Bryce Cotton of that of that team. There's no no doubt about it. And it was a lot of fun to to watch you play and and play your craft and see you at your absolute prime. And then I guess it was fascinating to watch you transform yourself into more of a leader once Bevo came in that first season to win that championship in 2010. So no longer were you the absolute, I guess, number one focus on offense and that helped the team win a championship because you were willing to, to be more of that captain. And then, you know, going through the, the injury and the comeback to that, I obviously dealt with you pretty closely through that time. And, and, you know, I was working at the club and to, I mean, to see your comeback on that night at the MVP ball is one of my, my highlights just as just to see you being able to walk back into the building and then to see you finish your career and now to still stay in touch with you you know beyond your career we started the podcast together and doing other things together I mean it's been been a hell of a journey for 17 years since I've I first had and had an experience with you it's been a hell of a ride and been an honor to to watch you play and this is a capping moment for it because there's no greater greater deserving person to have their number up in the rafters than the, the number 42 and and I guess every player always talks about how, when they retire, they'll get to reflect on their career. And I guess this is a good chance for you to you to do it.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of uh, I guess kind of closes that that chapter um, even more. Mm. Um, you know, I was pretty lucky to 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 walk off the NBL court, winning my very last game, winning that championship, and just knowing that it was you know it it was my time to. Uh, to leave the game and then uh, obviously, I remember
2: probably five minutes later talking to you in the corridor as well, probably for your last interview as a, as a current player.
4: Yeah, it was, you know, I, yeah, I couldn't have written a better script, right? Like, um, you know, I wasn't playing many minutes. We just happened. I think Matty Knight got injured. Um, and you know, I think Trev loves Jesse kind of coming off that bench being the spark. So I got thrown into the starting lineup um, for that very last game as well, and, uh, you know, to to take the court, be able to see Bryce Cotton be a part of it, watch him drop 45 in the grand final and then walk off champion. Uh, you know, I couldn't have written a better script, and then you, you add in getting uh, the jersey retired. So um, it was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that uh, you, you don't even really think is, is even the realm of possibilities. It, it's kind of like when, um, you know, I, I, I made the Olympic team with mm-hmm. the boomers. Like I came over here. That That's just so out of this world growing up in the U S to be able to make an Olympic team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you're lining up with next to Patty Mills and, and you take it on team USA. So mm-hmm. some of those things, like you just pinch yourself, like, you know, I was, at the age of 15, I was walking up and down the cornfields in Nebraska to Tasseling, and here I am, uh, you know, playing professional basketball, playing against some of the best players in the world, and get, get honored by, you know, the club in the NBL. Um, they're the pinnacle of, of what this league is about. Is uh, It, it is, is truly special. So um, I, I don't know how else to say it, but it, it is a huge honor.
2: If we reflect back on a couple of things, I mean, I, I talked, a bit, talked before about how you were that, that's, that superstar on the team for, for, for probably a five-year period before Bevo came, and then you had to take a backseat a little bit, not a backseat, but you had to change your role a little bit just to make sure you incorporated, you know, some of the new teammates un, under Bevo and play in that new system. Can you talk about how, how much of a challenge for you that was to actually embrace that role, but then how rewarding it was when you won a championship probably, you know, five or six months later?
1: Oh look I it's,
4: for me it wasn't it wasn't a, a tough tough thing, you know, because I, I just love to win. Mm. Um so if if that was gonna bring us a championship looking back on my career now, when we won those championships, if I if I'm the second or third option it means we've got we've probably got a pretty good team. Yeah. Um and you know, it just means that I can kinda ride the coattails a little bit. Of other guys, and it's uh, you know can kind of play my role a little bit, a little bit more. And you know, if I go back on my college career, I, I was that kind of energy glue guy. So it's not it wasn't something that I hadn't done before in the past as well. So yeah, you know, I take pride in trying to fit into the role, obviously. You know some roles are probably more prevalent than than others but um but at the end of the day if you're walking up and off the court and you're, you're looking at the scoreboard and you're winning um and you had some impact on that then uh you know i think that's what that's what you can ask for um as a player and as a competitor and um, you know still want to strive and be the best player you can be but you know, I think there's so many guys that sacrifice and, and that's what I, I love about basketball is um, as well. There's so many roles that you can play to have an impact on a team to make them successful.
2: I'm glad you mentioned how you were that glue guy, hustle guy in college because that's when you got your Charlie Hustle nickname. And I've heard you talk about it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. and And it's a remarkable thing because we started this podcast and we were trying to come up with a name. And you you reflected back on how you used to be called Charlie Hustle and we were trying to come up with a name and you thought, let's incorporate that somehow, let's call it Basketball Hustle. And then Hoop7 came on board and the rest was history.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think there's, um, you know, a lot of pride. I think that, uh, you know, if you get given a nickname for, for your work ethic, I think to me that's uh, that's something to uh, to be proud of. So um, yeah, we're trying to be trying to be clever. You never know how it's uh, going to all play out, but um, you know I'm proud of uh, of what I've been able to achieve throughout the career, and, and um, you know I played along with some great teammates along the way as well. So I've learned a hell of a lot and uh, had a lot of fun with it as well.
2: If your nickname's the scoring machine, too, that that's a pretty good indication that you knew how to score the basketball, too. So that's not a bad second nickname to have, either.
4: Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, fun in that ditch, you know. It, they're not going to fly you over from America to, uh, especially at the at the uh, NBL 1 or, you know, what used to be SBL or um, Siebel level. Um, unless you can put the ball in the hoop, so... Um, you know, it kind of gets you that inroads and then it's your job to, to make sure that you're, you know, you can play the role that the team needs. And I, you know, I kind of recognize that as they look at the team's successful and probably learned that with the breakers that, you know, if the team's not successful doesn't matter how good you are. If you're you're the import, you're probably going to be shipped out, you know, if not during the season, after the season, right? So winning was super important. It's always been important, but I just realized that how much, like, you got to do those, and, you know, the fine line at the NBL level. I mean, there's so many great players. There's a fine line between winning and losing. You got to find those little things to give your team that edge because, uh, you know, at the end of the season and you're sitting 6-20, and 20, well, you know, especially at the Wildcats or whatever it might be, uh, you're not going to be here very long, so uh, yeah, it was probably a good lesson to learn when I, when I was with the Breakers and uh, trying to make a most of it when I put that Wildcats uniform on.
2: Yeah, if the Wildcats are ever six and twenty, I suggest no one associated with that team. That the next season, <laughs> would they?
4: No, no, let's let's hope that never happens. <laughs>
2: Um, the injury is the other, the other big thing. And I, I mean, you've told the story about what happened with the injury and, and the fact that you then had to fly yourself back to, back to Nashville, find the best surgeon in the world and go through all of that. The remarkable thing for me was that only, only a few months later, you were able to, to get back to Perth and not only be back in Perth and, but actually when we all didn't know if you'd be able to ever walk properly again, you actually had MVP ball. I remember talking to Nick Malvin before it, and we wanted to keep it a secret that you were going to, going to be there. So we kept you hidden for most of the night. And then when the announcement was made later in the night, you walked up onto the stage to a, a hero's welcome. It was one of, one of the greatest moments I've, you know, been associated with just to, just to see you able to, to walk on stage. What did that, what did that mean to you when you were able to, to, to get back?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it was kind of that first step. Um, and I guess literally and physically, um, you know, I only had. I think, if I remember the timeline right, it had only been a week or two prior that I was able to. I was given the all clear to start walking. Yeah. So, you know, I still remember the first time they I was able to take the crutches and and take my first step uh, there in Lincoln, Nebraska, at the physio, and then, and then you, you know fly across the no,
2: other side of the world, and then
4: fly fly across the world. I, you know, at least I wasn't uh, in. Um, in danger of dislocating my hip mm. as I was flying uh, across the world. But, um, and yeah, and then just to, to be able to uh, be back with the team and, and see the guys, you know, kind of gave me that, that motivation to, to keep it going and, and uh, you know, fight for everything to get back out on the court because uh, I definitely missed it. and It was hard watching from afar that, that year. So, um, and, you know, we had a heck of a team as well. So you, you just never know. Yeah, had that injury not happened, where everything would have would have turned out? There, you know, we're coming off the championship; we were having a heck of a year already. Um, so, there's always those things that, that flow through your mind. But you know, I'm proud that I was able to to get back and, and play play at that NBL level again, which uh, definitely wasn't a uh, realm of possibilities that that most uh, surgeons would have uh, would have recommended.
2: Yeah, I mean, the remarkable thing was you still won the, you shared the MVP that that season still with with Kevin Lish and that that just shows that you were having a hell of a season before you you went down as well. I mean, the other things that stand out to me were the very first day of preseason for the next season, you were the first person there in the building. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. You were the first person on court and then I still remember the first preseason game. I think it was at Lakeside from memory and you come out, hit the first shot of the game and... And it just looked like you hadn't missed a step. It was just a remarkable thing. How were you able to do it? How were you able to, to make it, make it back?
4: Look, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think I had an incredible surgeon. I put a lot of time and effort into it. You know, my initial expectation was 12, 13 months, Mm. uh, you know, talking to some other athletes that. Uh, Yeah, i have spoken to a cyclist, and it took him 12, 13 months to come back from it, you know, so here I am trying to do a lot more, you know, cyclists, you're you're just riding straight Mm -hmm. lines, right, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to be able to change direction, jump, and pivot, and all these things, Um, you know, but it just progressed um, extremely quickly. I mean, it was a long time, and and, it took seven months before Mm -hmm. I, I played again, but, uh, you know that was probably less than half of of what we thought initially. So um, you know to get back and play that first, and then have that first game in, back in Adelaide, right, yeah. where where the injury happened. That was uh, that was that was a night will I'll, I'll never forget as well.
2: And then that whole season just had so many remarkable things I'll never forget your block on CJ Bruton to send the grand final series into a third game I'm sure you never will either and then the fact that you're able to play so much so much more basketball and and you know put together the career you did with 380 plus games and then still um, finish off playing SBL basketball and winning another championship at the Redbacks, and then playing at the Hawks, and and still playing at a really high level. And not, and to be fair, I reckon you might still be playing if it wasn't for COVID as well. It was only probably COVID that forced you to to stop. I mean, do you sometimes pinch yourself that you you got almost another decade of playing basketball out of yourself when you were told it just wouldn't wouldn't have been possible?
4: Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I was I was I was extremely fortunate to to keep playing until what, it was thirty six when. Retired, retired with the Wildcats. So I'm, uh, you know, I look back on, on everything. I don't have any regrets, and I think that was one of the things that I I said when I started my career was make the most of it. You know, I was probably twelve months away, maybe from going back to the U.S. Maybe even after Bendigo. I don't know if I had got that opportunity to come over and try out with the Wildcats. If uh, if I would have kept playing, uh, you know, I always went to college to get my degree and, and kind of expected to be able to to go into, to use that. Um, but, you know, I wanted to give professional basketball a try and give it a crack because it always been a dream of mine and I was able to, to make the most of it. But yeah, you just, it's, it's funny how those things kind of work out over time. You know, I'm thankful I, I got that phone call from Scott Fisher to come over here and play and then, you know, I I, I don't think i'll ever leave perth i I mean i love it here and uh to be able to be a part of the community still still be involved in basketball in some way and and uh you know get to go you know went to the last game i'm sitting up there next to mike ellis and uh you know the retired guys are up there analyzing the game i think that's a lot of fun to be able to uh still still you know be a part of it just see the the passion that the crowd and and everyone has for, for the Wildcats, and uh you know expect to uh you know, look forward to uh, to being a part of it uh, in a small way going uh, the future, whether it just be in the crowd, uh, you know, watching and cheering them on because, uh, you know, it's you know, a lot of pride uh, with those guys wearing that Wildcats the other. A
2: couple more things just very quickly, Sean. Damien Martin, um, I want to get your thoughts on him because he speaks incredibly highly of you, but how much do you think that is because of the fact that the things that he's taken off you over the years. So he took the captaincy off you with the Wildcats. He ended up winning more championships with you with the Wildcats. He ended up being the replacement here on on the podcast as co-host when we started the third season. And now, after making it look like he was happy to share the commentary duties on the NBL games with you, he's now taken that role off you as well. Um, how do you how do you maintain your patience with him, and how do you maintain a happy face <laughs> when, when you see him?
4: Well, well, I just look at the four championship rings that he helped me to win. So I don't. uh, It doesn't matter to me. No, uh, you know, he does a great job with all those. You know, I think he's probably one of the best captains that not only in the sport of basketball, but entire sporting that we've we've ever seen here in Australia. You know, and I've probably only been in Australia for what, 17 years now, but, uh, you know, he, he, he's an incredible leader, does some great things in the community and, uh, you know, he's, he, he's great at doing the the commentary as well. So, uh, you know, if there's one person that's going to knock me off, <laughs> uh, I'm happy for it to be Damo and, you know, how can you uh, get mad at a guy with a smile like that?
2: <laughs> um, would you expect the number 53 to be the next one up after 42?
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a, to me, that's a no brainer as well. I mean, you just, you just hear the roar of the crowd anytime they said Damian Martin 53. Uh, you know, he's a big reason for, for the success and, and the culture that, you know, kind of got built and sustained throughout the years. You know, so I think uh, that that'll happen and uh, you know I'll be uh, looking forward to to being there on that night when it does. so uh, you know I, I think he's he's definitely deserving um, and the impact he's had. I mean he's just a unique player. I don't think we've ever seen a player like him that has an impact on the game and doesn't have to score right he you know whether it be his leadership, defense, his hustle, um, it's just knowledge of the game, right. Mm. is Bryce Cotton needs a shot. I'm going to get Bryce Cotton a shot. I need to get Matty Knight a post-up touch. Um, Just those things that probably not everyone saw behind the scenes, but, you know, just a super smart player as well outside of just a great guy. You know, the guy could run. You know, he would get tired, and then (laughs) two seconds later he'd be full of energy again. It was was remarkable.
2: Um, Last thing, I mean, I don't think you would have achieved what you have achieved or enjoyed it as much as you you have, if you didn't have your wife Gretchen and your kids Haley and Dylan by your side, I mean, how special is it to have been able to share this whole journey with with them by your side?
4: Yeah, it's been, it's been very cool. I think, uh, you know, having kids when I was young as well. So they were got to be there when I retired and and got to see and, and remember, uh, you know, their dad playing basketball, which I think is pretty special as a, as a dad. And then, uh, you know, they were there in the office, um, when I got told that the Jersey was retired. So, you know, there have been a huge support throughout Montana that, you know, Gretchen and I started this journey, uh, back in 2004. We, you know, first time I think Gretchen had ever left Australia mm-hmm. or sorry, us, yeah. um, she has got our first passport. And uh, and now here we are, Australian citizens, and, and living over here. So it's it's been a remarkable journey. Um, it's been awesome to share it with them, and uh, you know I look forward to to making some more memories uh, in, in the future as well. But yeah, it's been awesome to be able, you know, be able to walk off the court my last game, give Gretchen a hug, and uh, celebrate. You know, what, what's been uh, uh, an awesome. The journey so far is was was a pretty cool moment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, Sean. It's been a lot of fun catching up with you again, and it couldn't be more deserving to have your number number retired. It's been a long time coming, and I'm I'm very happy for you and 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 proud of you more than anything. As somebody that's known you for as long as as long as I have, um, I'll just sign off and and get your thoughts on how much you're looking forward to the ceremony on on your birthday. I remember we celebrated your 40th birthday only a couple of years ago when we did the did a podcast episode around around that day and now it's going to be a pretty special next birthday in, in January next year isn't
4: it? Yeah definitely I think they timed it well um, you know the, the January 20th is the game and then 21st I turned uh, turned 42 mm. so uh, it's going to be a, a memorable couple of days for sure that's uh, looking looking forward to it now
2: nah, looking forward to it as well and thanks for sharing all of your all of your journey Sean it's been a, been a lot of fun Thanks Buggy. Okay, welcome back to Hoop7's Basketball Hustle. I'm Chris Pike and I'll wrap up this week's show. And we're hoping our my co- that my co-host Cody Ellis is feeling better after his bout with COVID and we look forward to being back to normal next week. But just quickly, I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Matty Knight. Firstly, there with these Player of the Year votes. Scott Ninnis and Brett Maher dropping by to chat all things Adelaide 36ers and, and Scott Ninnis to pick his winner of the Galen Award winner for this week and then also um the scoring machine sean reddish to look back on his number 42 being retired by the by the perth wildcats and he's journeying to get there so i hope you all enjoyed that and we've i hope that you've been able to get something out of our our makeshift show for this week with with cody under the weather with, with the covid um round 10 in the nbl now just to finish off with this week's show begins on thursday night this could be the game of the season top of the table clash at spark arena in auckland New Zealand Breakers hosting the Sydney Kings. Sydney on top of the ladder at 9-3. New Zealand second eleven and four. I think clearly right now the two best teams in the competition. And we'll find out a lot more about them in this game to, to open proceedings in round in round ten. And then second up, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix hosting the Illawarra Hawks. The Phoenix looking to consolidate themselves in the top four. Illawarra Hawks looking for consecutive wins for the first time this season as well. So that'll be a fascinating Thursday night double header. Just the one game on Friday night, but it's a beauty. Another one between the longest rivals in the NBL, the Adelaide 36ers and the Perth Wildcats. Both teams needing a win. Adelaide coming into the round in sixth spot at six and six. Perth seventh at six and six and seven. It's probably only one spot in the top six, and the play-in games for 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 these two teams to fight over in the second half of the season. So plenty riding on this game. And as, I t- as we touched on earlier in the show, Daniel Johnson to play his 400th NBL game for the 36ers. Mitch Norton to play his 300th game at, for the Perth Wildcats. So big milestones for the big rivals as well. So that's Friday night at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre. Two more games on Saturday. First up in the far north, the Cairns Taipans at home to the Illawarra Hawks. And then second up, a rematch from only. And then second up on Saturday, Melbourne United at home to the Brisbane Bullets. Then on Sunday, two more games and both these teams backing up and playing earlier in the weekend. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix at home to the Adelaide 36ers. And then another fascinating game, the Sydney Kings back at home to host the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. And then the round will wrap up Monday night at RAC Arena in Perth, the Perth Wildcats hosting Melbourne United. So we look forward to seeing how it all unfolds. We'll be back next week with Cody Ellis to break it all down and find out what we learned from this weekend's action. I hope that you all got something out of this week's show. Thank you to Matty Knight. Thank you to Scott Ninnis and Brett Maher. Thank you to the scoring machine, Sean Reddidge. Thank you to Hoop7 for making it possible. And enjoy your basketball action.